This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good Wednesday to you, and thanks for joining us here on Real Talk, whether it's live or later, as we say. Uh, Jesperson and Hicks with you on this September 14th. Coming up in about uh, five, six minutes from now, we'll check in with National Post columnist Tristan Hopper. And then about a half hour from now, uh, Jared Yates Sexton is going to join us. Really looking forward to this conversation with the uh, American author, uh, political analyst, and podcaster. You may have checked out his Muckrake podcast. He's got a, a brand new book set to come out. It's uh, not even available yet. I'm pretty sure it's January 2023 that it's out. The Midnight Kingdom, a history of power, paranoia, and the coming crisis. Uh, it's a, a look at authoritarianism and totalitarianism and how the United States got to where it is now. And it's not uh, an issue. Uh, if you want to call it an assault on democracy, we'll let you know Jared make the argument. But it's a long time coming. He takes a look through history at different nations and different developments and influences on the politics or what influences people. I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation, especially in light of yesterday's announcement. Did you see this out of the U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham talking about this 15-week abortion ban, a federal ban on abortion? Uh, we'll jump into that with Jared Yates Sexton, author of, uh, you've probably read his book or at least heard of it, American Rule in Past. So everybody's really anticipating this new one uh, coming up. And uh, that's going to be a great show, I suspect. My Jasper memories today, we have an update for you on that Cheddarman Mountain wildfire. Uh, crews are still working there, but there's good news. There's a, a reason for optimism in Jasper National Park in the township of Jasper. Uh, still, though, advising against travel to this beautiful mountain town at this point. So we're going to update you on that. And a development in Ottawa, this is something that might be flying under the radar. People are going to say, well, this is a clash between media and politicians who really cares. Uh, but I'm curious to know where you land on this. Uh, this is somewhat of an unusual circumstance. You don't typically see in the federal or the national, they call it the National Press Gallery, um, a chief political correspondent and the leader of a political party, in this case, the leader of the official opposition, Pierre Polyev, the newly minted leader, uh, smashing heads together right at the beginning of a news availability this was just yesterday have you heard this one we'll, we'll get this video teed up uh, and i'm going to ask tristan hopper for his take on this in just a few moments uh, pierre polyev steps, steps up to the podium yesterday he wants to uh, well he basically wants to make a statement right and one of the early criticisms around pierre polyev through his leadership uh this was a trend that was established through his leadership campaign was He's not doing interviews with people. That's essentially it, or at least with select interviewers, right? He's speaking to to independent and uh, far-right conservative outlets like The Rebel and like True North. This video we're going to show you is, a, is captured by a True North reporter. Uh, but Mr. Polyev is not making himself, for the most part, available to journalists who have legitimate questions and who are representing the best interests of the public. You know, we put in multiple requests as one example to speak to Pierre Polyev through that conservative leadership race. You heard uh, Josh Ray on this show several times, uh, but he's just simply not doing it. And yesterday he had told the journalists gathered up upon 
uh, inquiry from David Aiken right out of the gates. David Aiken, the chief political correspondent, former colleague of mine at Global News. Uh, Aiken wanted to know if there was going to be availability for questions. Poliev says, yeah, well, we're going to allow two questions. I mean, two questions is really nothing. Uh, typically, in these types of circumstances, uh, leaders would take, I don't know, between five and 15, you know, for sure, between five and 10. And people are getting frustrated columnists are getting frustrated journalists trying to tell stories that may be off the brand or off the intended hammered down messaging of the political party or in this case of the leader Pierre Polyev are starting to wonder what availability is going to look like what transparency is going to look like right so it, so it leads to this clash I want to play it for you if you haven't heard it we'll show you about 30 seconds of it um, I'm curious to know how you feel about it I'll be sharing my thoughts as well this is just yesterday afternoon Pierre Polyev versus David Aiken. You'll have to hear in the background for David's voice. We have, we, we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today I'm a to. Bad. Well, apparently. Right. That Are you going to let you me make my misstatement? From the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to we let me make like my statement? just like to ask a question. Say, yes, I've, so never, I've actually never seen you heckling. The Prime Minister. Ask Minister Baird back in the day. The Prime Minister. Look, bottom line is this. Are you going to take some questions at the end of the statement? Yes, I'm taking, I'll be taking two questions at the very end. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The, uh, so I'm going to start my statement again, and hopefully this time without interruption from uh, the uh, liberal heckling g gathering here. Okay. So, uh, like, it's not funny, uh, but it's just, it's just kind of one of these facepalm moments that this is how this is starting uh, but we understand what's going on and we'll call a spade a spade and, and we'll assess it to be what it is which is a strategic position that Pierre Polyev and by association the Conservative Party of Canada will be taking against the media against journalists uh, I'm not here to carry water for David Aiken as a matter of fact Aiken himself has tweeted about this um, I suspect that he may have uh, had a suggestion from the people signing his paychecks that he tweet something like this. Uh, but yesterday, David Aiken, about 830 in the evening, Eastern time, tweeting lots of readers and viewers called me about today's Parliament Hill presser. Uh, many said I was rude and disrespectful to Pierre Polyev. I agree, he says. I'm sorry for that. We all want politicians to answer questions, but there are better ways of making that point. So the top part of this, how this had all rolled out is as Pierre Polyev steps up to the podium to start talking about affordable housing or whatever it is he wants to talk about. And by the way, his messaging on, on that front is, is sounding a little bit different than you might expect. He wants to see, you know, big affordable housing projects built near transit centers. This is stuff geared at young people, but more on that later. And Aiken right away was on him, right away was jumping on him. Are you going to take our questions? As a matter of fact, he just started barging into a question. Well, everybody, it seems, on the conservative side of the ledger is responding to this, right? You know, Poliev releases a statement after the fact, says his statement, you won't believe this, I couldn't believe it, and it happened to me. He says, I was delivering a statement about how Trudeau's inflation is hurting everyday Canadians when someone started shouting. Was it some left-wing protester, maybe a liberal MP or a staffer? No, it was a member of the media. He says, that's right. David Aiken from Global News was swearing, shouting and heckling. There are some reports that the uh, director of communications or, or, or one of the senior staffers involved in this transition team, uh, transitioning the leadership from interim leader Candace Bergen to Pierre Polyev. There are reports. I have not heard it myself. There are reports 
that David Aiken told the staffer to go fuck himself, uh, which is uh, lacks a certain decorum in the National Press Gallery, which I think we can agree to, right? So Poliev says David Aiken from Global News was swearing, shouting, and heckling. He wasn't interested in hearing what I had to say, and he wasn't interested in reporting it in an unbiased way. This is what we are up against. He says it's not just the liberals, it's the media who are no longer interested in even pretending to be unbiased. They want us to lose. He says we can't count on the media to communicate our messages to Canadians. We have to go around them and their biased coverage. Says Poliev in a fundraising email sent just a short time. I mean, boy, are they ever on this stuff, right? When they see an opportunity, I mean, this could glean this party a few hundred thousand dollars. This could glean this party a million dollars if the right people are pissed off enough about it. Email says we need to do it directly with ads and mail and phone calls and knocking on millions of doors. And of course, to do all that, we need your help. Chip in to help us go around the biased media, says Pierre Poliev in this fundraising email. And then, of course, there's a link to click where you can give them all your money. This is uh, if you're hoping for the best in politics, this would be a discouraging development in the honeymoon phase of Pierre Poliev's leadership. I'm going to be curious to see what other national columnists, what other senior correspondents do in response to this. People want to be able to talk to the leader of the official opposition. If he's not going to be able to accommodate these media requests, then what's this going to mean? Is the media going to take a principled stance and remind its viewers, its listeners, its readers every single time that an interview request is denied that that interview request was made and then denied Are reporters at the end of every single story they file out of Ottawa or elsewhere across the country going to make a note that this political candidate or this leader, in this case, Mr. Poliev, did not take questions or refused to answer or had no comment when asked for question. These are important things to remind the general public, right? This availability is not happening. So, Keep an eye on this as it develops over the next number of days. Keep an eye on how David Aiken responds to this. Keep an eye on that relationship, Aiken and Poliev, because if that's an adversarial one, that'll be an interesting one. (laughs) If I know anything about loud voices employed by that company that speak out against prominent conservative politicians, David Aiken's about six months away from getting fired. But what would I know? We'll have to see what happens here. Are other members of the media going to bend over backwards to accommodate Pierre Poliev? Are they going to stand steadfast in their insistence that he do take questions that have nothing to do with his priority messaging? It's something we'll follow, and of course, only time will tell. I'll get into this with Tristan Hopper in just a little bit. And as mentioned, of course, Jared Yates Sexton coming up a little bit later on in the show. Right now, I want to remind you that the deadline... It's going to be here before you know it when it comes to getting your hands on the tickets you're going to need to qualify to live in life-changing luxury. A $2.2 million dream home up for grabs in Edmonton. That is the grand prize in this year's Covenant Foundation Lottery. You can tour the home online right now at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You can also get your tickets by calling one 944 2774 or, of course, on the website as well. But it's not just that. I mean, they've got vehicles. They've got amazing trip giveaways. They've got a 50-50 that's already over a half a million dollars. And, of course, you can feel good about 
taking part in this lottery because you know that you're funding things like innovative palliative and urgent care in the province of Alberta, in particular at the Grey Nuns and Misericordia Hospitals. You can learn more at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that the first of every month, you got two weeks now, circle it on your calendar, the first of every month at all 16 of their locations across Alberta. It's 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. Plus, the Healthy Inside events are back. How much do we know about our bodies and how we can maximize our own personal health by what we put into them? Sometimes we could use a refresher, a bit of a course, but you're going, I don't feel like signing up for school. Well, they've got a great setup. You go to Friesen.com to check it out, F-R-E-S-O-N. You can register. 25 bucks to these events in Fort Saskatchewan and Edmonton gets you a glass of wine, some charcuterie, great advice, and shopping discounts. It's all part of Friesen Brothers' connection with their communities, Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. At Westworld Computers, they are overstocked right now on their MacBooks. These are the M1 MacBook Airs and the MacBook Pros as well. They've got a sale on the overstocked computers, plus these new iPhones that everyone's getting excited about. People started pre-ordering them on the 9th. Are you in on this yet? They'll be available for delivery, they expect, just a couple of days from now. You can shop them online from anywhere at westworld.ca, or you can go see Daryl and his team in-store on Edmonton's West End. Again, that's Westworld Computers, your Apple experts at westworld.ca. And I just talked to Chris and his team at Park Power just the other day. They've got a lot going on right now. Why? Because more and more people are trying to find ways to trim the fat in the household, right? Uh, We talked about inflation yesterday. What a great conversation that was with economist Alex Gaynor. A big thing that people are keeping an eye on, of course, is natural gas. Uh, Electricity rates as well. Whether you're on the variable or fixed rates, you may want to take a look at what you're signed up for and for that matter, who you're doing business with. You can compare rates today on electricity, natural gas and Internet at parkpower.ca. If you bundle them all together, you're going to save bucks on administrative costs. And don't forget the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. Tristan Hopper is a national columnist for the National Post and has been a good friend to this show. He calls him how he sees him. It's been a while, my man. How's your summer been? Oh, summer's been lovely. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Where are we talking to you from today? Uh, This is the National Post Victoria Bureau. It may look like a terrifying basement, but... uh... Yeah, this is this is where I live and work. I like it. Um, this is uh, kind of a, a either much ado about nothing, although I wouldn't say it's nothing. Uh, but of course, it also has the potential to be blown up into more than it is. This this brouhaha, this kerfuffle between David Aiken and Pierre Polyev yesterday. But I think it's rooted in something that's a bit of a bigger story, and that is Mr. Polyev's availability to media, and for that matter, politicians' availability to media. How are you seeing this through your lens? What happened yesterday afternoon in Ottawa? Uh, I don't know. So, so yeah, they, uh, have you already explained it to the yeah, uh, we, listeners? We, yeah, we played okay. about a 30-second clip of, of uh, Pierre Polyev calling him a liberal heckler. Yeah, so uh, that that is classic Polyevra, that uh, if anybody's going to you know get in his way to accuse them of some sort of partisan leaning. Uh, but on the same token, uh, you can't just like yell at someone during a speech. So, I mean, Aiken apologized for this. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was expressing frustration over probably ever wasn't going to take questions or he had his hand up or, or, or something. But 
yeah, I think generally there is a, a base level of decorum you're expected to show. And, uh, you know, a, a, a poly ever partisan points out, well, he's not yelling at uh, in, in the middle of uh, a statement by Jagmeet Singh or, or, mm. or, or uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, which uh, is, you know, potentially not true. I, I've only been on the like federal politician journalism circuit, you know, in that pack of like journalists that, that follow around federal politicians. Uh, I've only done that for a few days. It was during uh, their cabinet retreats uh, somewhere in, I think, Jasper. And uh, I was surprised at how, you know, rude uh, the press corps was. Just, you know, every time uh, Trudeau was moving between, like, two offices, just screaming uh, at him about something, you know, he's going to the bathroom. It's like, what about unemployment or something? So uh, there is, like, a scrum, it, it's a lot rougher uh, than I think people are used to and it's really rough in the uk uh yeah whenever the royals come over here and we have like uh, you know uk press here covering some royal tour yeah they're relentless uh so uh yeah i don't think it's as uh unhinged and out of step uh as as people are making it out to be but yeah if you're a national political correspondent and the leader of his his majesty's official opposition is giving his first statement you can't just scream at him through it because he uh didn't take your questions first. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I was a little surprised at, at the beginning of the availability that Aiken just started going at him right away. And, and it wasn't sort of a Mr. Polyev, Mr. Polyev, will you take Mr. Polyev, Mr. It, it was just like blazing over him, yelling from the back of the room, yelling his questions on the flip side. Um, I recognize, and, and, and like I said earlier, I'm not, I'm not here on Team Aiken. I'm not here to defend David Aiken. I'm just trying to sift through it because I think that this is a, a flare-up that's an, an indicator of something bigger. I don't think it's personal between Polyev and Aiken, or at least it wasn't before yesterday. Uh, but I do think that some of these senior correspondents, these national reporters, are used to getting the interviews. They're used to having their questions asked first. They're used to being able to pursue whatever column or story they're writing, not just just the talking points of the political party and through the course of the entire leadership race. I mean, the course of virtually the entire campaign that the Polyev camp ran very well, uh, largely they did not make him available. And and some mm. of the messaging here, I, I read a letter that Polyev's camp put out just after this happened saying we can't count on the media to communicate our message to Canadians. We have to go around them and their biased coverage. It's a fundraising email. Same thing from Andrew Shear just the other day who advised people. This is the former leader of the official opposition. I mean, this is the former leader of the conservative party of Canada who advised people to steer clear of mainstream media. He was directing them to rebel media to true North. I mean, this to me, that's bigger cause for concern. What do you think? Um, I, I, it, it sort of makes sense from a tactical standpoint. So yeah. if you're, uh, if you're a member of the NDP and you get a call from True North Center or Rebel Media, uh, you can almost guarantee that that's not going to go well. They're not going to frame you in a positive light. So right. you, you may take the call, but you would do it, you know, with, with great skepticism, uh, that it's not going to be worth your time. So, uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that, uh, yeah, a lot of the media treatment of Paulie Ever has been harsher on him than it would be for other politicians. So I, I, in his mental calculus, he's saying, okay, well, I can be super open to the media, like my predecessor, Aaron O'Toole, um, and then I'm just going to spend like 40% of an interview, you know, defending abortion, defending something some Republican said in the U.S. Screw this. I'm just going to go on uh, social media. And if anybody, you know, yells at me, I'm going to call him a liberal hack. 
Um, so I can definitely understand why he's doing it, uh, because I think it's fair to say he's not treated fairly uh, in the media. Um, he'd obviously exaggerate the, the extent to which that's true. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of, uh, you, you know, the National Post runs plenty of pro poly ever stuff, but I, I, I guarantee the minute we ran something that made him look bad, he would respond with some tweet like, a, you know, the anti poly ever, you know, liberal. You would be the post. next liberal hack. Yeah, that's right. Which, uh, you know, I pray that that day comes soon because I, I don't want to get a reputation as some sort of poly ever hugger <laughs> yeah. or a, a hugger of anybody, you know, or a hugger of anybody. The last thing people want to hear is that Tristan Hopper's gone soft. Uh, were you surprised at his margin of victory? I suspect you're going to say no. I mean, he he blew the field out of the water in that leadership race. But I feel like everybody was calling that for three months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't surprised at all. I was the guy way back in 2013. Uh, 13, I think, who was like, obviously, Justin Trudeau is going to win the liberal leadership. Like, they <laughs> give it to Martha Hall Finley. Come on, he's going to show up. It'll be on the first ballot. This is all just a giant waste of time. Uh, so very similar with Paul Yeah. Uh, that he was he's just showing up like I'm on Vancouver Island This is the most left wing part of Canada uh, ever. The bikes have pronouns here. And uh, he was showing up and just hosting the largest political rallies, I think, that have ever existed here ever, uh, not just for a conservative like, you know, nobody has had these kinds of crowds showing up. I mean, you know, over a thousand people in some relatively small town just north of Victoria. Uh, so when you're seeing that kind of uh, amount of people showing up, uh, yeah, you, you have to expect that's going to play into an incredibly crushing victory at the leadership. I don't want to let one of your comments slip by without uh, addressing it. What do you mean when you say you, you, you weren't sure? I want to make sure I quote you correctly. You weren't sure that Pierre Polyev's being treated fairly uh, by the media. How, how do you assess or how do you think he's been treated unfairly? Oh, uh, you just have, I, I mean, and if you look at uh, uh, just sort of the focus on negative comments, you know, I don't read other papers because the National Post is the only true one. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, if you, okay, if you look at the example of like Aaron O'Toole. Uh, so Aaron O'Toole was a very different conservative leader. Uh, he was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all about the media. You know, I'll be talking a lot. He did spend a lot of the 2021 campaign uh, with sort of, you know, responding to criticism from the liberals are, you know, are you, uh, what's going on about abortion rather than asking, you know, you would have the media sort of asking uh, the liberals about some you know, particular point they brought up and then he's sort of on the defense. So I think it's fair to say, yes, in the media, conservatives, not as bad in the U S there's an incredibly hard uh, left wing slant in the American media. I, I don't think it's as bad here. I don't think, you know, the media has completely lost its mind and just become, um, an outlet for the liberals or the NDP. But I, I think it's fair to say that, yeah, in the media, uh, you are going to spend a lot more time as as a conservative on the defense. Hmm. You tweeted the other day and, and uh, it got some traction. A few thousand people have liked it so far. Uh, quote, remember, even if Polyev isn't saying racist things, he could be communicating racist messages via his blinking. You say I also played one of his speeches backwards and it said, I'm love milk, a clear white supremacist dog whistle. You're having some fun with it, but there are legitimate concerns that some of the people that Pierre Polyev has mixed and mingled with, has been photographed with, although it's a different story, has marched with, has brought coffee with through the Ottawa occupation, do give a tough look uh, to the conservatives. Oh, yeah. And I don't yeah, mean yeah, it in yeah. a good I mean, way. If it, and, yeah, he was, he, he, was, he was basically marching directly. And I don't know why he was doing this, but yeah, he was marching with people very, very closely allied. 
So uh, I think people have valid concerns about about the tone that his leadership's going to take. Some of that dog whistling, some of the messaging, and others are anticipating that he's going to try to, and he's got some time to do it, to to bring this back to the middle or the moderate. Uh, that's also, I think, why Aaron O'Toole got absolutely crucified because that's what he tried to do. Uh, so what do you expect yeah. to see over the next six to eighteen months from Pierre Polyev on the reputation front of the party? Ooh, uh, I think he's um, he, he'll be much more likely to like fight back. Uh, so, I mean, we saw that, you know, David Aikens like heckling his uh, his speech. And I think an Andrew Shear or an Aaron O'Toole would have been like, OK, let's just calm it down. All right. That's that's a terrible impression of both of those men. Uh, but, yeah, he's more inclined to be like, ah, you're a liberal hack. Screw you. And I think for his base, they like seeing that because they have seen the past two conservative leaders just be like, Oh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be in a fuss, you know, you, you know, we'll, we'll just accept this particular policy uh, very much. I, I think it's fair to say, um, you know, I've been watching the crown a lot lately and uh, you know, the latest season of the crown, you have Margaret Thatcher and she's like proud to be a conservative and expounding about conservative principles in public. And you don't really see that, um, you know, particularly the last two federal elections, a conservative is always like, what's conservatism? Hey, we're, we're all right. We're, we're your buddies. Um, so what's weird about Paul Polly Everett from the perspective of a conservative voter is that he'll actually go out and, you know, expound on conservative principles and philosophies and, and not, not retreat from it. Um, which is weird. I think I, I forget some genius on Twitter had this thing where every election it's uh, the liberals promise that they're finally going to get around to implementing their values and the conservative promise they're never, ever, ever going to implement their values. That's pretty good. What do you make? Uh, the, the prime minister says he's going to stick around. He wants to be the first prime minister in a long time uh, to secure a fourth term in office. Uh, some are wondering whether or not the, the Trudeau brand is stale. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Gary Mason tomorrow. Uh, he believes that Trudeau may have met his match in Pierre Polyev. So it could be shaping up to be an interesting federal election. Here we are two years out uh, talking about it. All the crazier things have happened. It could happen uh, before then, what do you make of the Trudeau announcement to his cabinet that he's going to stick around? And, and if you had to look into your crystal ball, what would the next couple of years look like with regards to these two, Polyev and Trudeau clashing? It's from a popcorn spectator standpoint, it's going to be pretty remarkable to watch, I think. Oh, yeah, because it's already started uh, this. I mean, typically um, you've got a new leader of the opposition. and You just put out some BS statement like, oh, I'd like to welcome, you know, my my fellow leader. And although we differ on the issues, we all like to uh, share our same vision for that's not a true impression. That's terrible. But but in this case, you just got this tweet thread about like, you know, radical extremist ideology. He's a terrible leader. So, uh, yeah, it is. It has not started on a good foot. But. Um, I do like uh, this whole like go down with the ship type thing. I mean, Harbor did that. Usually what we do in Canada, uh, you know, Pierre Trudeau did this and uh, Brian Mulroney did this. Um, you basically make everyone hate you. And then at the last minute, you hand the keys to someone else to take the fall. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I always thought it was like, you know, Justin Trudeau would wait until like he was the most unpopular prime minister ever. And then he'd be like, hey, Christian, you're prime minister now for like four months. You know, you can be the Kim Campbell. Yeah, Mark the Kim too. Campbell. 
Yeah. So no yeah, it's it's nice that he's uh, well, like like Harper, uh, you know, had an incredibly embarrassing election uh, in 2015. Um, he he could have walked out and just handed it to McKay to lose his shorts, but he, he went out on his own. So uh, yeah, if if he's going to lose any election, he's going to lose the next election. So it's it's kind of him to do that personally. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I I, uh, I think it's almost un- it's almost. I don't know. I mean, we like doing this, uh, you know, it sort of feels like a hockey or football pool prognosticating two years uh, ahead of time what an election might look like. So many things have to happen. There's so I mean, Poliev could either continue to build this this new following. Right. It, it appears uh, Supreme Devedi. It's a bunch I, of. Uh, yeah, I, I think his strength is. What we forget, all us political political types, is we forget that most people do not care about politics. It's true. So you know, you go to my kid's birthday party, and they're like, "Yeah, who's uh, the leader of the hum? Yeah, or, who's John Charest? I don't care." Um, so uh, yeah, Polyever is doing very well among people who don't care about politics, and they're like, "Yeah, I can't afford a house or get a doctor." Uh, and then the only guy talking about housing affordability, uh, really, uh, is this kind of high pitched guy from Ottawa. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll consider voting for him. So what I think is going to happen is there's going to be a whole bunch of similar. I mentioned Thatcher twice. I don't typically do that, but, um, I think you're going to have a bunch of people who have probably never voted conservative before and may never vote conservative again, uh, who are just drawn into the sort of populist message, uh, of Polly Everett, because, uh, yeah, you, you hear the word populism a lot. Um, a lot of his policies aren't all that different from what an NDP policy could have been. You could have had a populist NDP leader who was saying a lot of the stuff that Paulie Ever was saying uh, in terms of all the stuff that's resonating. Uh, there's no reason you couldn't have an NDP leader talking about gatekeepers uh, when it comes to housing or you know gatekeepers with the Bank of Canada. These, these are not particularly tied up with the conservative brand. And as such, uh, I think you're going to have a bunch of people who, you know, never liked the conservatives probably will never like the conservatives again yeah uh but they can't afford a freaking house so yeah you know, or, or it be, yeah becomes like almost a cult of personality and i'm not i'm not necessarily comparing like you know donald trump and pierre poliev i'm not trying i think that's lazy and i think that there's a lot of uh reasons where they would be dissimilar but let me just say it's the same deal with regards to who trump drew to supporting the republicans right not necessarily lifelong card-carrying republican members people knocking on doors for decades yeah it was people that loved his message uh, and him that's right it happened in the 80s uh both in the uk and the the us you had a bunch of uh you know people voting for ronald reagan and margaret thatcher who had ever ever considered voting for a right winger before and would never vote for a right winger ever again uh i was looking through some stats for the 80s in the uk and one of margaret thatcher's strongest voter demographics was young people uh and that's unbelievable because nowadays in british elections the young vote like 70 percent for labor every single election you know no matter what uh, so yeah, it's, you can have, and we are starting to see polls are kind of unreliable on this front, but we are seeing a bunch of polls showing, uh, you know, the 18 to 29 set. you're seeing scattered polls in which plurality are backing, uh, a poly ever led conservative party, which is, you know, nuts. We haven't seen that in a generation several generations. Hey, are you getting the, uh, what's the national post doing with regards to this federal holiday on monday the national day of mourning uh obviously following queen elizabeth ii's passing do you get the day off well we will uh, be honoring her 70 years of service by continuing to serve our news reading public i think that's the best way to yeah but are you writing it ahead of time or are you going to be showing up for work on monday 
I'll be showing up to work. You know, it's not that hard. Obviously, I have a very comfortable, comfortable <laughs> yeah. basement here. There you go. Uh, but I read yeah. a poll on my Twitter. Check this out. So that I know a lot of people are waiting to find out from their employer or for that matter, from their premier. Uh, what's going to be happening in their neck of the woods? Uh, we simply asked, what's your workplace doing about Monday's federal holiday? Uh, about 2,300 votes with six hours left. 67%, almost exactly two-thirds, business as usual. Uh, just under 20%, 19% say it depends on what the provinces do. Um, so far, PEI, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Labrador, and Manitoba have said they will observe it. Mm-hmm. Um, the no's so far, Ontario, Quebec, big surprise, and Saskatchewan. Uh, 10%, one in 10 respondents, uh, their business has taken the day off to honor the queen and about 4% said other, we asked them to explain. And I think all 4% of those respondents are, uh, feeding the nation. It seems to be heard from a bunch of farmers that say there's no days off during harvest and we're grateful for what they're doing out there. Yeah, I don't think it's a great, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think PEI is like expressing pride. We're the only one to declare a statutory holiday on the Queens. I would argue that if your entire province can just call a holiday with six days notice, maybe you're not doing a lot of tremendously important things. You know, well, Alberta can't just shut off the oil. Province. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, let's, you want to take a holiday? I want to take a holiday. Okay, let's not do anything. We'll shut down the three ice cream stands or whatever they do in PEI. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this argument has been made as well. This is a holiday that will largely be uh, observed by federal bureaucrats. Yeah. And if you're a federal bureaucrat, the last thing you want to do is telegraph to the public, oh, by the way, we can take a day off with short notice and nothing changes. But you can't. Oh, my God. You can't. We need to keep the restaurants, yeah. keep pumping the oil. What is it? It's, uh, yeah. uh, it's two weeks after Labor Day. It's uh, it's about 10, 11 days before the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And it's about uh, two weeks or two and a half weeks before the Thanksgiving holiday. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of four day work weeks in there. It's it's like you said, six days notice, I think, especially for small businesses. It's just I don't blame the people that are treating it business like usual. We used to do it. Uh, so I think it was a stad holiday uh, in 1952 when King George VI died. But there was practical reasons for that. Canada used to really take these quite seriously. Like mm. you just have people crying at their desks. I mean, some of that is happening. But uh, you would just have a complete breakdown of society. You needed a day off to mourn. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case now. Even, you know, some some pretty you know, staunch monarchists, uh, they're still able to work and function. Yeah. Uh, Jared Yates Sexton is going to join us in just a moment, and I know you have to go too, so I don't want to keep you into overtime. Um, I do want to recognize, though, that you long have had, uh, it's not forged currency, it's it's suggested currency. You've placed your own image on the Canadian $10 note. And I know that, of course, there will be some some currency updates over the next number of years with King Charles III, now the King of Canada. Uh, your thoughts on how Canadians will connect with their new king? I mean, quite a relationship with Queen Elizabeth, the longest serving monarch in, in British and Commonwealth history. If I can prognosticate on what the Bank of Canada is going to do, I think we're probably going to get his portrait on the quarters and the coins because nobody uses those anymore. Uh, but I do think it's possible the Bank of Canada will accidentally on purpose just add a bunch of other people onto the bills yeah, uh, and say like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of old fashioned to put Charles on it. We'll put him in the background. Sure. And then you know, we'll put a some kind of moose or something, you know, something that won't offend people. Yeah. I guess mo- moose are kind of offensive. Uh, yeah. It depends oh, who you an are. Orca. An orca. Yeah. Yeah. Orcas yeah. can be nasty, but also mm-hmm. my favorite animal on planet Earth. They are racist, too. They like the. They, they're, they're, there's or, there's different 
pods of orcas and they hate each other. So when they're clicking, that's just racial slurs against the other orcas. I know people don't like to hear that. Really? Yeah. Hey, well, this very is, much like us. This is why we need intrepid columnists like you, Hopper, because you're putting stories on our radar that we would not otherwise know about. It's why people need to read your work in the National Post and follow you on Twitter at Tristan Hopper. It's great to see your face again. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Jared Yates Sexton coming up in just a moment. We're going to talk about his brand new book and, and what's going on stateside. You probably heard. I mean, if you're watching the international news, if you're paying attention to the news cycle, Senator Lindsey Graham yesterday introducing a bill uh, that would ban abortion federally at 15 weeks. And not only are the Democrats licking their chops at what this could mean for them in the midterm elections two months from now, uh, but also a lot of Republicans are calling this a really bad idea. But how did the U.S. get to this point? There's a lot that's gone into it, obviously. And Jared's going to talk to us about that. These interviews are made possible because of the support of incredible sponsors like the team at Apex Automation. I want to let you know that starting tomorrow, we're going to take you behind the scenes at the Apex Automation facility. They've given us permission to share some video. We've had to go through it to make sure we're not showing anything you know, proprietary or anything top secret. They're working with some of the biggest industry players across a number of industries uh, we're talking it could be forestry it could be mining it could be energy it could be brewing for that matter if there's equipment there if there's machinery that can be automated efficiency that can be improved apex automation is on it and they're hiring engineers the best in the country right now if you feel like you're not challenged in your current role visit apexautomation.ca today your next Big move could be with Apex Automation. At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they want to remind you it's not always the best move to wait till the snow flies before you start looking at a 4x4 upgrade for your family. Winter travel's no joke, and that's why so many people across the prairies trust Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge to get their family where it's going safely. That includes the Ram lineup plus Chrysler and, of course, America's most trusted SUV lineup. That's Jeep. You'll find Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge online under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Heard from another Real Talker just yesterday. They put solar up on their roof, and well, they're surprised at how little it cost. The guy was expecting 30 grand plus, said he got it up there for 17. I said, well, what prompted you to take the plunge? He said, I heard on Real Talk with Kubi Renewable Energy about this $40,000 interest-free loan from the feds. Interest-free to get your sustainable energy goals underway. You can check out kubienergy.ca today for your free quote. All of Kubi Energy's installers are Tesla certified. And don't forget, they present positive reflections here on the show every single Monday. If something filled your bucket, we want to hear about it. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Our next guest is the author of American Rule, the man they wanted me to be, and people are going to rise like the waters upon your shore. His political writing has appeared in publications like the New York Times, the New Republic, Politico, Salon.com. Jared Yates Sexton is also the host of the popular Muckrake podcast, the author of three collections of fiction. And of course, he's got a new book set to drop, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Making his Real Talk debut this morning, it's Jared Yates Sexton. Thanks for making time for us, and welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, Jared, there's so much to talk about. And of course, we say, how did America get to this point? You're going to say, well, in which context? But you know, you've got, of course, neighbors to the north of you, uh, including this Canadian audience that's watching developments down south. We don't feel completely insulated from them. We've seen some similar developments here in Canada, but but I think it's safe to say uh, maybe nothing like what's happening with access to women's reproductive rights. Of course, there's this uh, inquiry and then charges laid, a big investigation, a criminal investigation into the January 6th assault on the Capitol and the like. What prompted you to start putting pen to paper on your new book, The Midnight Kingdom? What was the tipping point? Well, uh, to be honest, I wanted to understand uh, this modern moment and how we arrived here. Um, you know, you you'd brought up the relationship between what's happening in the United States and in Canada. And there are these lines and there are these trends right now that are really coming together. Um, you know, you take a look at something like January 6th, but you also take a look at the con- uh, the truckers convoy uh, that you all suffered recently. Yeah. Uh, these things are absolutely related. They're being funded by the exact same people, the same donors, uh, the same class that are uh, bankrolling Republicans as they're overturning rights, rolling back progress. Um, this is part of a larger situation that is playing out. And unfortunately, we're uh, we're all in this together. So. I would imagine that there are probably going to be these common threads that can be tied together here. And and I wanted to make this, I mean, of course, we can talk big picture and we'll, we'll look back several hundred years in some contexts that have uh, become part of this book that you've put together. And I know people are anticipating it, uh, but there's also what's happening in the news day to day. And that includes this announcement yesterday. And I, and I wanted to touch on just a portion of this. So this is Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, he's announcing yesterday this 15 week abortion bill. Uh, it, really doesn't stand a chance of passing, uh, but still it's getting people talking. Here's the context. Abortion's not banned in America. It's left up to elected officials in America to define the issue. You have states have the ability to do it at the state level, and we have the ability in Washington to speak on this issue if we choose. I have chosen to speak. I've chosen to, to craft legislation that I think is eminently reasonable, in the eyes of the world, and I hope the American people, at 15 weeks, pretty much strong majority of Americans believe abortion should be the exception, not the rule. Now, a lot of people are speaking out about this, uh, most notably, I think, Republican leaders that are distancing themselves. I mean, including Mitch McConnell, who said yesterday, quote, most of the members of my conference prefer that this be dealt with at the state level. They don't want anything to do with it. Are you surprised or not at all? Uh, no, I'm not. Actually, you know, when we're talking about the Republican Party, a lot of the time uh, emphasis is put on the idea that this is some sort of a very, very tight group, right? There, There's a lot of discipline in this party. Right now, we're actually seeing with the GOP sort of a civil war for a struggle over the party. Um, one part of it includes Mitch McConnell, who has basically been sort of the the load bearer, the, the person who has cracked that whip to keep people uh, sort of under the same uh, umbrella. Now, all of a sudden, you're starting to see, and Lindsey Graham is part of this as well, you're starting to see a new conservative movement. These are the people who are pushing for abortion bans. They're the ones who push for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, and, and actually, McConnell's starting to lose power with the Republican Party. And this declaration was yet another moment where a senator who in the past would have listened to McConnell would have stayed 
shade underneath his tent and direction. He has now moved out in front of this, which is where the Republican Party is going. They are going to push to uh, outlaw abortion, if not after 15 weeks, uh, totally outright. I mean, this this is indicative of where this party is going right now. So what's that going to do to America? I mean, what's your prediction on what this is going to do? It could, it could, I know that the strategy here, I mean, you know, this was a Republican strategist by the name of John Porter, uh, who, who spoke yesterday to reporters with NBC News. He says this is a turnout steroid shot in the arm uh, to turn out the base in November. They're talking about midterm elections, of course. But he says the question is if the juice is worth the squeeze. Like this yeah. could really blow up. So, so what impact do you forecast this happens? And ultimately, you start talking about outright abortion bans. I mean, I don't think people thought five years ago, well, let me say seven years ago that, that we having conversations like this. Yeah. And, and one of the things when we're talking about the midterms, when we're talking about American elections, um, you and I are assuming right now that these are free and fair elections, hmm. which is something that the Republican Party has worked tirelessly to undermine. And, and, you know, it's not only just election denying. It's not only the big lie that Donald Trump and his associates peddle and the Republican Party has embraced. We're also talking about structural uh, uh, interference that's happened here, including uh, disenfranchisement. Obviously, we have election deniers who are in place just in red states across the country. So while this is wildly unpopular, I mean, it, it's amazing how much the Republican overreach on this issue has actually galvanized voters and the public. They are a uh, minoritarian movement at this point. They're not interested in winning elections. They're not interested in respecting elections. Their power is going to come by their ability to undermine these things. So while they're talking about unpopular uh, uh, ideas such as banning abortion, they are counting on these um, these sort of structural controls that they've put in place. This is not a party that's interested in widespread support. I'm always fascinated to to try to analyze the relationship between religion and politics. And there's kind of personal reasons for that with me. And I think that there's very public and obvious reasons for that as well. More and more people are talking about Christian nationalism and its influence on political movements around the world. We see it in Canada. We see it in the United States and elsewhere. Can you take us into this? The, how, how maybe one is, is disguised as the other or vice versa or the relationships maybe a little bit more more muddy or even more connected than some people might assume. Yeah. And, and to go ahead and give a little bit of background information for those who might not necessarily know me or my work, like I grew up in these evangelical circles. I grew up in just some really bizarre conspiracy theory laden Christian ideas that have now uh, metastasized into this idea of Christian nationalism. First things first, uh, this really doesn't have anything to do with Christian faith. This is actually more of a vehicle in order to control people. So, for instance, in all of this, we say, well, we can't allow abortion. It upsets. God, which is, you know, an excuse to basically say we should be allowed to have control over p other people and what they do. Um, this ideology is just a way that people more or less make themselves feel better about their oppression and exploitation of other people. So Christian nationalism is sort of a, uh, a sibling movement to go along with this authoritarianism that we're talking about. It is an excuse that goes ahead and gets rid of having an argument about why some people deserve to have everything or have all of the power and control and other people deserve to be exploited and oppressed. So what we're actually looking at here is ideology as a story that goes ahead and explains the, uh, the oppression and the exploitation that, that we're actually talking about here. 
people in our live chat right now, and I know we'll hear more of this uh, on our hashtag once this podcast drops today, Jared, but people are, are referencing things like The Handmaid's Tale and, and, and talking about where they see this going and, and sort of the red flags that are waving everywhere. Um, included in the title of your book, I mean, The Midnight Kingdom, uh, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. What's the coming crisis? Well, I, I want to go ahead and say this, and, and, and I want to, before I say any of this, I want to say I am optimistic. I actually think that this situation that we're watching develop is going to uh, go the right way, so to speak, and we're actually going to see development of more democracy and, and individual rights and freedom. But I will go ahead and say that when we talk about something like The Handmaid's Tale, what we're actually looking at right now um, is actually significantly different and possibly even worse. I mean, you look at something like The Handmaid's Tale, which was thought up, of course, by Margaret Atwood decades ago. Um, it didn't include high tech surveillance. It didn't include algorithms. It didn't include sort of cultural control the, the way uh, that we're looking at now. The crisis that we're dealing with right now is coming from the fact that wealth and power has been accumulated by a very, very small group of people. We've reached this point where the wealthiest people in the world can now field their own, you know, private space agencies where their own personal wealth has overwhelmed the power of governments and individual uh, freedom and democracy itself. History shows us that when this happens, and we've seen this at major, major hinge points throughout history, when that amount of wealth gets in uh, concentrated hands, you have corruption, you have the buying off of representative government, and you have authoritarian impulses as these systems lead to more and more individual suffering. We're reaching a point where this can't continue. You know, something like the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which has economic, socioeconomic, political uh, reasons for happening, when all of a sudden you realize the government doesn't represent you and that the system doesn't necessarily see to your needs. I mean, down in America, we have Americans who don't have clean water right now. And when you have a Here system too. that when you have a system that leads to a situation like that, it's intolerable. So all of a sudden you start to see a, a, a rising of tension between individuals uh, and, and the people. And you start to see the people who have the wealth and the power start to push back. They start to erode personal freedoms because they actually stand in the way of them making more money and gaining more power. You know, when you become a billionaire, democracy is one of your biggest opponents. Hmm. And so this current crisis that we're, we're, we're starting to tiptoe up to the, the, the edge of, it, it, it basically is going to define what the future is going to look like, whether or not it's freer and more human or whether or not it's going to be more and more oppression and particularly uh, technologically enforced oppression. You write about the, the so-called myths of Western civilization. And, and through this conversation, you even Alex Jones, who obviously was, was all over the news. What a fascinating defamation trial that was uh, in a heart wrenching and horrific context. The Sandy Hook elementary school shooting, of course, uh, President Donald Trump, uh, whose home was raided. I know people don't need to be reminded at Mar-a-Lago just a short time ago. And then Elon Musk. Uh, what are the three of those billionaires or multi multimillionaires? Uh, have in common with regards to perpetuating myths about yeah. Western civilization? What are the myths? Well, so for instance, in all of this, if, if you take a look at conspiracy theories, uh, particularly those that are being weaponized by people like Alex Jones, Donald Trump, even Elon Musk, who has taken this bizarre uh, but predictable authoritarian turn in, in the last year or so, what you start to see is that the problems that have been created by things like capitalism, this, this accumulation of power and wealth in a few hands, 
you can't explain it based on a problem with capitalism. You have to explain it on supernatural evil conspiracies. It's the devil that's doing it. Um, you know, the QAnon, it's the idea that there are evil cabals that are behind all of this. It is a displacement of the blame from the people who uh, profit and benefit from these systems saying, no, it's actually my political enemies over here that are responsible. And, and you know, these take the regular sort of uh, uh, characteristics. It's the Jews, it's the liberals, it's the minorities, it's all of these groups that stand in their way of, of having power. And these conspiracy theories are just diversions. They're just, you know, sort of projections and, and displacements of what is actually occurring. And so the fact that we're watching these things grow and we're watching them gain purchase throughout history, that is always a sign that you are coming up to an economic and political crisis. And and and, and again, it's, it's, it's predictable as anything. The unfortunate thing is uh, so many people simply haven't seen the signs. One of the reasons uh, why I think your book's going to be so valuable is you're able to draw a line between historical events um, and then current culture wars. I mean, you talk about like replacement theory as an example um, for con. Let me give you some context for what our audience will be really familiar with. We were talking about this. I guess it was probably about a month ago. Uh, the Ministry of the Status of Women in our within our provincial government, that, that entire department rolls out an essay contest uh, in particular for young women. I think it was age 19 to 25. And, and they asked them what the future of Alberta would look like to them. Uh, and they invited them in particular to start talking about what they would do if they were elected to office and the bronze medal winning essay was essentially uh like a manifesto uh, relating to the replacement theory it blew up in the face of government the ministry it was it was a, obviously a very bad look for a lot of reasons including for the reputation of the province quite yeah. frankly the rest of canada buried its face and, and and snickered so it didn't cry you know what i'm saying uh, there's a bigger picture conversation here, though, as well, and I'm sure that people could find examples of that within their own communities. Can you draw that line for us? Yeah. So when it when it comes to something like replacement theory, and again, all of these things that we're talking about are just updates and revamps of past conspiracy theories and narratives and and fear mongering, new coats of paint. You know, uh, in, in researching the Midnight Kingdom, I actually found like QAnon principles that went back to ancient Rome. I mean, it, this stuff just completely uh, goes in cycles and 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 renews itself in new ways. When you talk about replacement theory, what you're actually doing is you're telling why people, listen, there is a sinister and calculated conspiracy to destroy you. If you don't go ahead and give us ultimate power, if we don't dismantle democracy, guess what? They're going to show up at your doors uh, here in America. They're going to take your guns. They're going to throw your families into camps. You're going to be destroyed. The country is going to be destroyed. The only option you have is to go ahead and support anti-democratic policies and movements. In all of this, and, and, and again, like we're talking about uh, gender here, we're talking about masculinity, that masculinity is always a component in this. These authoritarian movements always play upon masculine insecurities. They're trying to destroy you. They're trying to feminize you. Um, you know, there, there's a direct line from Tucker Carlson airing weird segments about uh, people. I, I don't know how else to say this, so I have to come out and say it. Uh, you know, people uh, using radiation on their on their genitals, you know, to like show that they're men. And this is one of the reasons why the GOP is talking about masculinity masculinity is under in crisis and it's it's in danger. So what ends up happening is you uh, take advantage of masculine insecurity. And the next thing you know, 
authoritarian movements always tell men this is the way to be men. You have to be men again. You have in democracy is gendered as feminine and you have to push against it. So what we're actually watching in all of this are all of these disparate components that have always been in place and they always activate in these moments of crisis. And 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 all of it is absurd. And and I want to point this out. We 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 I think we're told that like fascism or authoritarianism is always like this big giant scary thing. But it actually is very, very uh, laughable when it's not in power. It's very absurd. It's a lot of overcompensation and performance. It doesn't become that big, giant, scary thing until it gains power using all of these sort of ridiculous components. We saw Steve Bannon uh, carted away in handcuffs just the other day, defiantly yelling to reporters uh, just the beginning. Uh <laughs> Mike, I don't know if I should mention them in the same paragraph. Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow, uh, confirming that, uh, and I guess the FBI confirming as well, right, that his cell phone was seized outside of a coffee shop in Minnesota or something like that. Where do you see all this going? I mean, I know that's a huge question. We could probably talk about it for three hours, but but for the benefit of, of, of your Canadian fans, where's this all going? Well, so one of the things that happens in all of this, you know, we always talk about cultural warfare, right? We're talking and, and cultural warfare is everything. And again, going back to the absurdity of it, Republicans come out against, you know, people who are uh, canceling Dr. Seuss or Mr. Potato Head or what show is popular or which movie like earns most at the box office. What is happening in all of this and, and with these arrests and all this, that narrative that we were talking about, the idea of this sinister conspiracy that's coming after you and your family and your freedoms and your wealth, all of that stuff is reinforced by these culture, uh, culture warfare uh, narratives. So basically, it, it is just sort of another chapter in all of it. So whenever Donald Trump, and, and, and I can't believe we have to say this, Donald Trump was caught uh, dead to rights, harboring nuclear state secrets, the highest, most classified material in the world. Everybody knows it. Republicans know it. His supporters deep down in, in, you know, in their hearts, they know that this was wrong and has to be punished. But that punishment is now a situation where it could be an escalation mm -hmm. that goes ahead and proves to you know true believers that this is a situation that's escalating. Those crises in history that I talked about, they always have these points. There's always a point where someone gets arrested or somebody is punished because they've carried out some sort of a crime in aiding these larger movements. That is often seen as sort of a, a flashpoint. That's seen as a reason to escalate situations. And I have to tell you, if somebody like a Donald Trump is held accountable, you will see violence. The scale of it and what it amounts to, that's the question. But these things always escalate in this manner. Yeah. And, and oh, man, I hesitate to even chime in on this because this is this is a Canadian perspective on what we perceive to be an American issue. Um, and that would even be something like, uh, you know, the Second Amendment, for example, people talk about the right to bear arms in Canada. There's a ton of firearms owners. I know you know that uh, mostly long guns. It's, it's like ranchers, farmers, things like that. It's not that we don't have gun crime in Canada, but the numbers just don't compare. But if you talk to a lot of Americans uh, about 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 their perspective on guns or gun ownership or the right to bear arms, they talk a lot about defending themselves against tyranny, defending themselves against government overreach, defending them. Right. And and uh, and, and you sort of, I guess. I won't say understand, uh, but you can you you can start to uh, it shines some light onto the perspectives of the people that, for example, stormed the Capitol 
on January 6th because they have been led to believe they've been convinced. Uh, do you want to say they've been brainwashed uh, that essentially America is being taken away from them? It starts with the red hat and the bold white text uh, yeah. that implies that America is no longer great. Right. And that, that we have to fight to make America great again. And then it escalates to a point where people are willing to risk life or lengthy incarceration to fight for what they perceive to be is taken away from them. Yeah. And to go ahead and shine a little bit of light on that, uh, I'll, I promise I'll, I'll get out of the weeds here in a second. A lot of this is based on consumer appeals. You've actually seen the gun industry in the United States of America make billions of dollars telling people, guess what? You're the type of person who's going to pick up a gun and protect your family and protect your country from these sinister conspiracies. And in going back to the masculinity part, they've absolutely preyed on that insecurity of men. You're the type of man who can pick up that gun. You're the type of man who will battle the government and be a true patriot. Those appeals have been absolutely used by the Republican Party, Donald Trump, everybody that we're talking about here in order to not only gain political power, but also to make an incredible amount of money. I, people always ask me, is all this stuff, is it a grift? Is it a scam or is it real? Yes, it's both. Huh. They're making their money and they're also gaining political power and purchase at the exact same time. The problem is this. Yes, you wear the red hat. Yes, you go to the Capitol on January 6th, right? Maybe you go there on January 6th and you just plan on protesting. The next thing you know, Ryan, you're in the Capitol. Mm -hmm. The next thing you know, you're an insurrectionist. So there is this point where there's a performance, right? You're the type of guy who drives around with a bunch of guns and skulls pasted on your trucks, right? On the other hand, what happens when that reality or that performance, uh, you know, has a has a chance of becoming real? And what we always see is that push to a certain point under certain conditions uh, charged with enough amount of rhetoric. Sometimes you pick up the gun. Sometimes you charge into the Capitol. The problem in all of this is that there is a clashing right now between those realities. Am I the type of person who would do this? Am I not the type of person? And you're seeing more and more based on Donald Trump, the Republican Party, all these appeals that are making money off of them. People are being pushed to the precipice of acting, which is how all of these movements always work. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you this in closing so we don't uh, sort of sort of wind up with our hearts in our throats and then leave it in yep. that resting state. Um, you know, you, you talk about uh, a reckoning with our history and uh, larger forces at play. Um, the end goal, obviously, to arrive at what you describe as a better future, avoiding a totalitarian catastrophe. Now, obviously, people need to read the book, which is available January 17th. People can pre-order it now. But can you give us some insight or reason for your optimism that others may be able to share as, as we wrap up the conversation for now? Well, here's the thing, Ryan. I mean, the conversation that we're having right now would not have been possible years ago. These were uh, discussions that weren't necessarily going to be had. You'd be talking about the in and outs of politics, what was going to pass, what wasn't going to pass, where things were moving, who was going to win the election, right? Now we're having deeper, deeper conversations because people recognize that something's wrong. Um, I always say Donald Trump is actually a symptom of a much larger disease. This isn't because of him. He wasn't the person who caused this. It just so happens that metastasized and made Donald Trump a, a possibility as president of the United States of America and everything that has followed. I do think that more people are waking up and understanding that the status quo is not only flawed, but that it's always been flawed. We're starting to have conversations about what actual history is, how we've arrived at this point. These myths that we've just totally depended on are crumbling day by day, which brings us to a point where we have to make a decision. 
are we going to reinforce those myths, which, by the way, have made our lives pretty much miserable and hurt a lot of people? Or are we going to recognize what has happened, understand the reality of the situation and choose something better before things get much, much worse? Problem is, we've got climate change right around the corner. We've got dwindling resources right around the corner. We need to make big changes. And listen, we are behind the eight ball here and we are behind on the times. But I I have to tell you, conversations like these and the conversations I'm having with people, uh, burgeoning labor movements, you name it, the conversations and, and, and the changing of the status quo, it feels like things are moving in the right direction. It just so happens that when they move in the right direction, these problems we're talking about, they grow worse and worse and worse until there's a conflict. And I, I am hopeful, and I think we're going to get out of this because history shows multiple times where we've gotten out of situations like this. It won't be pretty, it won't be easy, but I do believe it'll get better. Jared Yates Sexton's new book, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Tracy on our live chat says, what a great communicator. Great use of historical information used with current situational information. Emma says, I got to read this book after this interview brenda's says i gotta buy this book well you can pre-order it anywhere you get good books and if you need your fix from jared yates sexton in the meantime i suggest you check out american rule how a nation conquered the world but failed its people uh, you and uh, a quarter million others can follow him on twitter at jy sexton thanks for doing this thanks for having me man yeah you bet Real talkers always love when you let us know how an interview landed with you, what it made you think about. This is, you know, I mean, 80s fanify on our live chat says what a great conversation in, in light of what brought the charges in coots. Remember that border blockade, right? Southern Alberta it feels like an eternity ago, but it wasn't. Says male organizers trusted women who, quote, couldn't possibly be trouble. Uh, of course, those women were undercover RCMP officers. I've always thought about that. What a wild job to be an undercover intelligence officer, undercover cop. Mm-hmm. We grew up with a, a gal whose dad was was uh, an undercover drug guy. Oh, really? And um, yeah, he was really interesting. Like a police officer, pretty straight edge guy, but like had a, had a, a bit of a bit of a. Well, he had the big arms. His arms were like the size of our quads. Had a bit, <laughs> bit of a pot belly. Had the earrings, the big huge beard, and we were always instructed that if you ever saw him in public, to not go up and say hi. It was always kind of because he was on the job. Weird, well, you just yeah. never knew. You never knew if he would be like. You know, is he out with his family or is he out on the job? Are you going to blow his cover? Fascinating stuff. But yeah, the, the these uh, female RCMP officers that uh, integrated or rather infiltrated the uh, the Coots border blockade. Fascinating stuff. Um, Jared Yates Sexton, you can see why we were excited to talk about him. His insights are great. And and uh, he's one of those. Um, I don't do this with many people that I follow on Twitter, uh, but I actually like, I, you know, typically I just I'm, I'm lazy. I'm a passive social media user. So I wait to see what shows up on my timeline. And that's how I see it uh, with Jared. Oftentimes I'll go to his profile and Check out what he has to say on a story. Uh, that was what happened yesterday. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham talking about this 15-week abortion ban. I was like, I wonder what Jared's saying about this. Just because I, I trust it. I appreciate his insights. And I encourage you to give him a follow. We love when somebody new winds up on your radar that you hadn't heard of before or maybe weren't familiar with. Maybe you hadn't read their book until you saw them or heard them here on Real Talk. I want to get to an email from Ron. We'll bring things back to national, uh, the Canadian, let's say, political conversation. Ron writing in about Pierre Poliev. Ron in that um, 25 to 34 political demographic. Ron's 25. He's just uh, written into the show just ahead of his 26th birthday, he says. And we'll get to that in just a second. Every Wednesday, we take an opportunity to... Well, take pause, quite frankly, to step outside the news cycle in a way and celebrate the beauty that lies within Jasper National Park. It's my Jasper memories. 
But of course, uh, for the past couple of weeks, the news cycle has factored in to our conversation about Jasper. This because of the Cheddarman Mountain wildfire. And so today we have an update for you. And we do want to remind you that this is still an active situation. Per an update just yesterday from Parks Canada, this was less than 24 hours ago. The estimated size of this wildfire is, is about 5,900 hectares. But the good news is that no communities are threatened by the Cheddarman wildfire at this time. It's been good news to see some cooler temperatures, some lighter winds that have allowed the firefighting personnel to safely work at the head of the fire, which is big, right? Because they can secure the perimeter and extinguish the spot fires and the hot spots. Uh, they've got the helicopters out there bucketing and they are reporting success in reinforcing these containment lines, including along the east flank, that's along the Athabasca River. But the wildfire is still active within the perimeter, so it's not unusual from the highway or even from a distance to see visible flames or spot fires, and this will continue until the wildfire receives significant precipitation. That's code for snow. This thing ultimately will burn itself out uh, through the winter months. Parks Canada continuing to work with Atco Electric to facilitate safe access and, and, and tree removal for power line repairs. They lost a bunch of power lines through this, but an update from Atco this morning. If you're listening to this on Wednesday the 14th, uh, Atco is phasing Jasper off of generator power today and moving the township back to the transmission system but there's still a, a strain on the electrical there. And so they're thanking all of the locals, including the businesses that are doing what they can to dial back their power usage. And for right now, they appreciate you changing your travel plans. It's very rare that we're, we're going to encourage you to wait to visit Jasper, but until everything is back to as close to normal as it can get, that's the advice from our friends at the Township at Parks Canada and, of course, at Tourism Jasper. Again, for updates on the Cheddarman Mountain Wildfire, you can check out jasper.travel slash wildfire. And, of course, if you're reminiscing about times you've had in Jasper in past, We'd love to see your photos on Instagram, on Twitter, hashtag MyJasper and RealTalkRJ. You could see them featured here on a future edition of My Jasper Memories on Real Talk. We invite your feedback literally every show, and uh, we appreciate when you chime in. It influences the editorial direction of the show. It influences our understanding of where this audience is at. And of course, it's valuable feedback for us as we continue to pursue guests that will make you think that'll participate and buy into that real talk that we're so proud to present. Uh, Ron wrote in to talk at RyanJesperson.com says, let me get right into it. He says, I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one, but I'm pretty sure that I see right through Pierre Poliev. I don't trust him and nothing out of his mouth will change my mind. Ron says he panders to the worst fringes of this country in the conservative leadership race and then will inevitably be walking his campaign comments back in a general election. It's what we talked about with Tristan Hopper just about an hour ago. Ron says, now I follow politics on both sides of the Canada-U.S. border, and I've never seen or heard from a more disingenuous pandering fraud than I have from Pierre Polyev. Strong words from Ron. He says, I pray he does not win, but due to nearly a decade of liberal and Trudeau fatigue, 
I suspect Canadians will elect the Conservatives into power next election. He says it's been largely breezed over, but there was reporting over the past few weeks uh, around the, you know, the Liberal government and whether or not it'll provide a plan to introduce dental care or pharmacare. Uh, you remember the Prime Minister made an announcement in Vancouver last week about dental care for lower income families. Uh, Ron says, uh, you know, this has got to happen by the end of the year or this agreement between the NDP and the Liberals may be dead. This is certainly worth keeping an eye on to members of the public and media because of its implications due to this ultimatum. Ron says, no, I do have anger about Pierre Polia, but in my 25 years on this planet, nearly 26, happy birthday in advance, he says, anger has gotten me nothing but pain and misery. So I'm going to channel that into something productive, like writing this email and ensuring that the conservatives, as they currently stand, do not come to power. Ron says, I'm prepared to donate, canvas, volunteer, phone bank, knock on doors, or do do whatever I can to ensure that that doesn't happen. He says the conservatives worth hearing out didn't even come close to competing in that leadership race. Thanks for taking the time to read my email signed Ron. Thanks for taking the time to chime in. Hey, speaking of conservative candidates that didn't come close in the race, I wanted to give you a heads up and let you know that on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking and I'm not rapping quite yet, John, but tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking to a couple of the campaign team members that worked the Jean Charest campaign. We spoke with Jean Charest several times through that race. And again, we did put in requests with the other candidates. That's important for you to know. It's not up to us whether or not they accept our invitations, but those invitations were issued. Tomorrow, we'll get a chance to ask the campaign strategists, the senior staffers on the Charest campaign, what went wrong. And I think that that's going to be a really interesting conversation. We saw a Quebec MP yesterday resign from Conservative Caucus in light of Polyev's win. Will that be a one-off? I think it might. Or will we see more of that from federal MPs? Remains to be seen. And of course, we'll be staying on top of these storylines as they develop. You know, we do this show every day with the support of amazing sponsors like the team at Eden Landscaping, Mike and his team. I told you I had a chance to chat with Mike earlier this week. I said, man, we got to figure out where you want this conversation to go through the winter months because that's when people start dreaming about what spring could look like. You know, people resolving this will be our last summer, our last summer with a lousy looking lawn, our last summer with an uninspiring backyard. Mike says to me, yep. He says, remind them, of course, that the planning, the pulling the permits, the landscape design, winter's a great time for that. And Mike said, you can also let real talkers know that there's always career opportunities with Eden Landscaping, too. Whether you're a laborer, a designer, worked in sales, administration, or otherwise, if landscaping's your jam, if you love the art of outdoor design, why not get in touch with Mike today at Eden Landscaping? You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca, or if it's easier, under the Sponsors tab on our website. Our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you that Trash Talk is less than 48 hours away they're proud to present an opportunity for you to vent every friday right here on real talk you can submit your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com local environmental services is doing garbage recycling management landfill services fence rentals portable toilets water hauling you name it across alberta and saskatchewan proudly family owned for 25 years keeping it local at localenvironmental.ca And if today is a day where you're going to take 
some time out of the kitchen. Let somebody else prepare the eats so you can have a few moments to yourself in peace and quiet. May we suggest the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. It's been a while since we've reminded you about their signature stack burger collection. There's nothing like the Bacon 2 Cheese Deluxe, but if you like a little more heat, check out the Flamethrower. You like onion rings on your burger? Why not try the Loaded Steakhouse Signature Stack Burger? You can find those at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. So we've got a great week, a rest of the week in store here on Real Talk. As mentioned, tomorrow you're going to be able to get some insight behind the scenes of that charade campaign. I know that they were optimistic. They've got to be disappointed. I appreciate their willingness to talk to us. That's coming up tomorrow. Also coming up on Thursday, Gary Mason, a columnist for the Globe and Mail. He believes that Prime Minister Trudeau may have met his match in Pierre Poliev. We'll find out why. And on Friday's show, you're going to meet the inaugural recipient of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. I can't wait for you to meet her. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.